And I'll read the scripture reading at this time. If you want to turn there with me in Isaiah chapter 61. It's going to be in Isaiah chapter 61, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 3 and 10 to 11. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release the darkness from the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And over to 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he is clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed, arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. If you would please turn in your Bibles, if you have those with you, to Luke chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 61. Now we'll be mostly dealing with Luke chapter 4 but we'll be referring back to the passage that Dave read for us earlier in Isaiah chapter 1. So whether you have a printed version or an electronic version uh, of the Bible, and, and you know, frankly, I, I carry about half a dozen electronic versions of the Bible in my phone, and, and it's a little bit weird, but uh, I go to read the Bible and I pull out my phone, which is may sound strange to some of you, but that's the way life works, so... Luke chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 61. All right, we will begin in Luke chapter 4 and chat for a while, and then we will go back to Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin reading there at verse 14. We're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just been baptized. The Holy Spirit was there when he was baptized. Jesus has just been through 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness. The Bible says the Spirit led him into the desert. And then verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. 
and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So here's how this works. You meet somebody. You like that person. And the two of you hit it off. Chemistry happens. You have similar interests. You enjoy being together. And it could be romantic. Could be someone with whom you become good friends. And so you spend some time together. You hang out. You participate in the same kind of activities together. And as you become more familiar with each other, the liking and the respect grows. That happens. And you begin to spend more time together, and so now you spend a lot of time together. Now, if this romance involved, you probably decide to get married somewhere along the line. I like you. And if it's friendship, you wind up, you may wind up spending way too much time together, or you may decide, hey, you know, like we're both going to school, let's become roommates or whatever else. But after you spend enough time with someone else, you begin to discover things about each other that either you didn't know, either you hadn't thought about or ignored for the first while. So, if you're married... She leaves her hair in the bathroom sink, which just grosses you out. She uses his razor without cleaning it, and he drops his underwear on the floor in a corner, chews with his mouth open, and belches in public. You may not like those things. And familiarity leads to liking and respect, but ultimately it can lead to contempt. As you get to know someone well enough, long enough, you begin to discover things you don't like and your familiarity turns from respect and like to contempt. And after, you, after the honeymoon is over 
And, and it's been said before that marriage, 95% of marriage is learning to live with each other's idiosyncrasies. After the honeymoon is over, you need to learn to live with each other's idiosyncrasies. And the time period of respect and liking changing to contempt gets really short. Now, when two young people get together, the honeymoon can last a long time and they have a lot of time to adjust. What I've seen is that as two older people get together, that, that respect or, or, or familiarity turning to contempt can happen in a very short time. So, what's the antidote to that? How do you deal with that? Well, I think there need to be right actions, there needs to be communication, and there needs to be consideration, and that's the answer to success in any relationship. And when you are in a relationship with someone else, some things need to change, some things you just need to let go of. Kathy and I have been married for 40 some odd years, and we're still working at it. There are some things that we have decided to let go. There are some things that I do that still bugger, and I'm working on it. Let's not go into that today, though. But it's one of the realities of life that sometimes living with someone or, or getting extremely familiar with someone can get to the point where you don't really like each other and, and you start to interfere with each other and trample on each other's toes and become rude and inconsiderate and all the rest of that stuff. Now, think about this. There is a danger of that same thing happening in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we can get tired of him sometimes. There's a danger of that. And you and I need to guard against that happening. You and I need to be careful that our relationship with Jesus doesn't deteriorate I can't even say that word. Go downhill into contempt. Let's take a look at what happened in Nazareth, and then we'll try and put this together for Nippon, and we're going to try and travel relatively quickly. You know that Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. Mary and Joseph lived there. Jesus grew up there. Jesus had brothers and sisters. The Bible makes that very clear. And not even his brothers, John says, believed in him. So Jesus is all grown up now, and it's the beginning of his public ministry. He's about 30 years old. And we don't know a whole lot about those, those 30 years. They called him the carpenter's son. And so they must have known his dad. They must have known his background to a certain extent. But Jesus had been busy. He'd gone out and he'd recruited some of his disciples. He had been out and been baptized. He'd been out in the desert, was tempted. He had returned to Galilee, his home area, which is in northern Israel, in the Galilee region. Returned to his hometown of Nazareth in the power of the Spirit. 
And people were saying good things about him. Look at verse 14. Returned to, to Nazareth, Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him through, spread throughout the whole countryside. Taught in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. So one Sabbath he went to church. It's a good thing to do. It was his habit, the Bible says. So, in the synagogue service, it was customary that someone would stand up to read Scripture. You stood to read Scripture, and you were given a scroll. Either you could pick, either you could choose, or either you were given the reading of the day or whatever it was. And so, Jesus was given the privilege of reading Scripture that morning, and he chose the passage from Isaiah chapter 61. And as he read the passage, it's curious where he stopped. Because if you take a look at what he said, and then if you take a look at Isaiah, let me read for you the passage from Isaiah. And it goes something like this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where Jesus stopped, but he stopped in the middle of a verse. I mean, how can you do that? By the way, the verse divisions are not inspired. Someone else, uh, years after they were written, decided to make it into verses so that it would be easier to find our way around. The same with the chapters. But Jesus stopped in the middle of a sentence. Now the sentence ends this way, to, to uh, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. You see, the Israelites had the idea that when the Messiah came, not only would he bless Israel, but he would also take care of all their enemies. You know, Israel would be glorified and poof, all those other ones would be toasted. And Jesus stopped in the middle of that and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. And he's saying, I am the Messiah. I'm here to do this stuff. But I'm not ready for the judgment yet. And, and that somehow didn't get into the Jewish mindset of that particular day. And their initial reaction was good. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Okay, so, so now everything is going good. They like it so far. And then they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, I don't know if they're praising him or if the tide is starting to turn. Are they saying like, you know, we know this Joseph, like, you know, isn't it amazing that Joseph's son is saying this? Or like, you know, well, this is Joseph's son. You know, who does he think he is? I mean, and, and so they were hometown proud for a little while. It's like when you, when you travel around northern Saskatchewan here, or this part of Saskatchewan, if you go to the city of Kelvington, uh, there's, there's a city, town, uh, excuse me. <laughs> But if you go to the town of Kelvington, there, there's a big sign outside the town of Kelvington. They're proud of some of their homeboys because they became NHL hockey players. You know, they advertise that. If you go through, um, the, what's the name of the place, Valley down the road here on the way to Wadena? 
Rose Valley, home of Gary Fjellgaard. You know, if you're not into country music, you haven't a clue who Gary Fjellgaard is. But, but you know, like they're, he's a hometown boy, and they're proud of him. And so they were pleased with Jesus for this little while. But then Jesus kept talking. And so Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And, and you know, and, and then he went on to say, but he says, you know, remember the time, he said, you know, you think about the year of the Lord's favor, but he said there was a time back in history when, when Israel was in rebellion and, and Elijah got sent to this widow up in Lebanon and, and like God blessed her instead of Israel. And then there were all these lepers in Israel later and, and none of them got healed except this foreigner who came from Syria, and, and boy, that wasn't stuff they liked to hear. I mean, they didn't want to be reminded of Israel's apostasy, of Israel's sin, and, and of the fact that the Gentiles got something that they should have had. And so the tide turned really quickly instead of everyone speaking well of him and were amazed at him, to verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious. Now they were sick and tired of him. In fact, it turned so quickly, the Bible says they wanted to kill him. Can you imagine that? I've heard stories of police being called to churches after services or church meetings because there was a fist fight going on outside. But here they actually wanted to kill Jesus. Because he said something they didn't like. It rubbed them the wrong way. And familiarity turned to contempt in a great big hurry. I wonder, could it be like that for you and me sometimes? Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. Some of you have grown up in Christian homes. You've gone to Sunday school. You've gone to church all your life. You may have had family devotions when you were a kid and prayers at home. And you've heard it all. When Kathy and I spent four years in Three Hills, Alberta, going to Bible college, some of the hardest kids to teach in Sunday school that we heard about were the prairie staff kids who were 11, 12, 13 years old because they had been to church all their lives, had everything shoved down their throats. And they were the kids who said, yeah, yeah, we've heard it all. Why should I go to Sunday school? I don't want to listen to this anymore. You know, nothing new here. And familiarity turned to contempt. Some of you surrendered to Christ later on in your life. And at first, there's the euphoria of a new relationship. And when you come to Jesus, you realize there's forgiveness and acceptance. And there's the excitement of learning about God's love and his work in history and his involvement in our daily lives. But after a while, that euphoria of a new relationship with Jesus, much like a human relationship, starts to turn into familiarity. And so now you have the beginning of routine, of a church and a church family routines that sometimes become burdensome and interfere with the pursuit of our own interests. 
And yes, it's one thing to be loved and accepted by God's family. It's another thing to love and accept some of God's people after you get to know them for a while. Right? And familiarity begins to breed contempt when Jesus says and does things we don't like. Things that are hard or things that are expensive or difficult or bothersome because then it gets hard. And so we rebel. And our rebellion takes many different forms and you don't have to be young in order to rebel. Some old people are very rebellious because they've heard it all for so long and they've hardened themselves to it. And I will not change. You have developed habits and patterns and you're not about to let that change. And when Jesus starts talking about things like sexual purity, when Jesus starts talking about things like our priorities, when Jesus starts talking about things like the language that I use, or my interests, or the movies that I watch, or my privacy, or the things what I do in the privacy of my own home, when Jesus starts talking to me about loving my neighbor, the one I don't like, the one that walks across my yard, when Jesus starts talking about how I spend my money, about how I use my time, about planning my career, about loving my spouse, about submitting to parents, about church leadership, about my government and giving honor where honor is due, about respect for authority, about paying taxes. When Jesus starts talking about some of those things, we get our back up. And all of a sudden, familiarity breeds contempt, and you say, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. It's like the man who said to me one time as we were engaged in a financial transaction, he says, good Christianity says that we will do one thing and good business says that we will do another thing. Let's go with good business instead. You see, sometimes Jesus says things you and I don't like. See, we like him when he says, your sins are forgiven, you're accepted, you're loved, and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And then Jesus says, now go out and do something with it. And we say, I don't think so. See, it's easy to like Jesus when things are coming our way. My wife tells me not to use this too much in church anymore, but you know my feelings about corn, Right? But, you see, I like Jesus when, when he says, I love you and I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to look after you. But what if Jesus comes and tells me to eat corn? I don't like that so much because it just kind of makes me gag. Sometimes Jesus says, go eat some corn, it's good for you. You know, go do something you don't like. It's good for you. Go love that person that you don't like. You know, what about Hosea? You remember the story of Hosea in the Old Testament? He had a wife who was unfaithful to him, and, and she went out and, and, and 
worked as a prostitute, and finally God says to Hosea, go buy your wife back out of the marketplace, and so he did. And then God says to Hosea these words, go show your love to your wife again. Who wants to show love to a person like that? That's like eating corn a thousand times over, isn't it? You see, and familiarity breeds contempt. When God tells us to do something we don't like. So what's the attitude, antidote rather? My attitude and my actions. And as much as in any relationship, any human relationship, it involves right actions and right attitude, communication and consideration. In a human relationship, that's a two-way street. In my relationship with Jesus, he is selfless, ultimately selfless, and loving and considerate. He doesn't need to change. I do. And so when he tells me things that I don't like, I simply need to submit because I need to recognize that my natural actions and attitudes are selfish and rebellious and I need to recognize that. But then I need to, te- I need to leave that selfish attitude and rebellion at the door and say, Lord, even if I don't like what you have to say, I will listen and I will submit. When Kathy and I were students, well, not Kathy, but when I was a student at Bible College in Three Hills, we had a student handbook, and that school was known for having rules at the time. I didn't like some of those rules. But in that handbook, there was a page that we tore out every semester, every fall when we came to school. There was a page in that handbook that, I, that you tore out, and on that page were written these words, I will, what was it, hon? I will cheerfully submit to all the rules and regulations of Prairie Bible Institute, and you had to sign that and turn it in. And once in a while, Prairie Bible Institute would come out with something, and I was like, I don't like this. And my wife would say in her sweet little voice, remember that page that you signed? Yes, dear. Ah, you know, and when Jesus tells us things, he told people in Nazareth, Na- Nazareth things they didn't want to hear. And sometimes Jesus tells us things we don't want to hear and things we don't want to do. And we can either become contemptuous And while we say, you know, like I've never tried to kill him, but you can just turn your back on him and try and ignore him. Or you can submit and say, Lord, what you've just said to me is hard, but I will deal with it and I will submit to it. Father God, it's easy to say words But Lord, it's a whole lot harder to check our own attitude and to look within our own hearts. It's easy for us to look at this incident and look and say, how could those people do that? And yet, Lord, if we look within ourselves, we will probably find that all of us are guilty 
of this at some time or another. So Father, help us to not allow our familiarity with your word, with Jesus, to lead to contempt. But help us, Lord, to walk closely with you and that he would indeed be our vision. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.